Good to be with you. Thank you. I'm Tom Bernardo. I'm uh, helping out while the search continues for your permanent uh, teaching pastor here, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, well, let me start with this. No, no, let me start by saying this. Um, we've made a lot of good friends in our time with you, and uh, this is a great group, and we've really, really grown to love you, and I think I'm going to get to a couple more times to do this. Um, and today, I'm going to test our friendship. Right, so that's fair warning. Okay. So there's a survey that was done among realtors when they were asked when people um, move into homes and they see people give ho- housewarming gifts. You may have done that or you've received some. And they say, what are some of the best, what are some of the worst? And uh, the, when they're surveyed, they talk about what are the worst housewarming gifts you can give, the ones they would really recommend you don't give, but they've seen people give these. And I want to just share with you a few of what they said are some of the things that are at the top of that list. Among the things that are just the worst Housewarming gifts that you should not give to people are stuffed animal head wall hangings or crochet toilet paper cut roll covers. Don't do it. It's really embarrassing. Air fresheners because they imply that they're needed. Bathroom scales because they imply you know. Pets of any kind, for any reason, in any shape. Towels with instructions. Novelty toilet seat covers, like transparent ones filled with fishing lures. Inappropriate bathroom reading materials. And welcome mats that say you are not. You may have given some of those. You may have received some of those. You shouldn't give those. Now, here's the thing. You've got um, a search is going on and a lot of prayers going into this, into who will be in a role around here of, of a teaching pastor. And, um, and as, a, as a pastor, I'll tell you this. There are some things that pastors wish they could say to their congregations and really always feel like they can't. Now, we're committed to telling the truth and we're committed to preaching the Bible, but there's certain things that we just really wish somebody would say, but we don't feel like we're in a position to say because it would be heard when it's coming from you as the pastor. Sometimes it seems self-serving if you'd hear it from the pastor. It seems like it's selfish that, they would, that you would hear from them. So I get to be in a position where I, I was invited to do something with you, and that is to say, what, when that person comes, what are some things that if I were him, I would wish somebody would say? before he arrives. And what are some of the ways that from the Bible, from the Bible, we can see there are references that talk about the, the, the attitude and the, and the movement of God's people as they gather in a group like this for what he wants to accomplish here. What are some things I would wish they would hear before I would get there? And th- we're going to call these things gifts that you can give to your new pastor. Now, again, this sounds a little... Uh, Preachers are never supposed to do this. You're never supposed to encourage people to take notes on your stuff because it sounds like I'm all that. You should take notes because this is really, really good. It just sounds wrong, doesn't it? Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and break that and say, would you take some notes today? I would really encourage you to do that. And here's why. I think this is worth talking about. Talking about in your home around your dinner table. Talking about in your small group. Talking about with others around here to tease this out and say, how does this really show up for us? And what are some of the gifts that... that, that you keep the crock pots. Don't, don't give the 
you know, the stuff that you would give as housewarming gifts. Instead, give your pastor gifts like this. Ready? Here's the first one. In, in fact, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to flip around a little bit, but a couple passages I'll, look, I'll have you look out with me. Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible or access to one on a device, would you turn to Matthew chapter 9? You're going to be in Matthew next week, starting next week. Um, we'll get a jump on that. Matthew chapter 9. Take a look at a passage here. And here's, here's the first gift I would encourage you. Give this gift to your new pastor, and I would call it this. A set of new wineskins. Now, in Matthew 9, you don't even know what that is probably, but maybe you do. In Matthew chapter 9, there's a conversation Jesus has where he gets challenged because, and it starts with talking about the followers, uh, you know, uh, the, the pre uh, previous followers and John's disciples, and, and they're following traditions and how the way they've always done stuff, and, and they were supposed to, there were certain times where they were supposed to do certain actions, and one of those is they're supposed to fast at a certain time. And if you looked in, in chapter 14, they ask him, why, why are you changing things up, Jesus? You know, we, we are used to John's disciples, this, they, they did this thing, this practice together a certain way, and you guys aren't doing it. What's up with that? And Jesus responds by using two analogies, but I'm going to use the second of them to say that the, the gift that it is. So if you're looking in, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, uh, verse 15, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom uh, mourn while he's still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Okay, so he's saying there's different methods and different times for different things. Then he says, here's a, here's a word picture. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into, new, into uh, old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What in the world is Jesus talking about there? He, he's saying something that's true, something that's, that's different about how his message gets out. Something I want to encourage you to think about today. Because Jesus is going to differ, differentiate between the message of the gospel, and he's got one message. And by the way, that message has never changed. It, never must, it must never change. It is the message of God. It's the message of his word. It's the message that God loves us and he made a way for our sins to be paid for. We're separated from him, but he has provided the, the perfect lamb to die on the cross in our place so that our sins could be transferred, the, our hell could be transferred to him. If we place our trust in him, if we do nothing else but place our trust in him, our sins are absorbed by him. We're given a robe of righteousness. We're accepted by God and we have eternal life. There's a message that has never changed. If it changes, you're in deep weeds. As a church, don't let it change. And Jesus says, the message is the wine. The wine is the key thing. The wine is what's being delivered. The wine is what satisfies. But there's something else that must always change. And we're going to call that the method. It's the delivery in which the wine comes. It's the wine skid. Those things are made out of leather, and they would get old, and, and they would get, start to crack. And if you put new wine, as it fermented, it would crack it, and it would spill all over the place. That's the whole point here. So Jesus says, you put, new, don't put, you put new wine in new wineskins, so as it ages, it stays intact. The delivery system works for it. But you don't take old wineskins and put new wine in it. You don't take old methods and use them to deliver the message. Basically, it comes to this. The message, the wine, must never change. The method, the wineskins, must change. They must, there must be stuff that happens. And change is something that reveals a tendency in us because it, I'm just going to shoot straight with you today. Get ready. 
Everybody says they want progress. Everybody says they want impact. Most of us want things to happen. Most of us like, and, and if that means something, something initiates that, we like that. We like change until somebody asks us to make it. Until somebody says, you know, you know what we like? We like change that we initiated. If we, uh, if we did it, then we're okay with it. But if somebody else asks us to do it, we don't like it. Let me, can, let me give you an example, right? Here's what we're going to do. We have four sections of seats right here. We're going to call this section one, section two, section three, section four. I want you to indulge me. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want you to move over one section. You're going to move to section two, you to three, you to four, you guys over here. Take your stuff. If somebody needs help, help them. You ready? Go. Oh, oh, find a different row in that section that you're in. Go. One to two, two to three, three to four, four to one. Go. I know, I know. Keep going. Another row, different row. Now, if you're listening to this on audio, you should see the faces of the people. Now, some of, for some of you, as you're doing that, you're, I mean, some of you are still confused. You don't, you don't know what to do. That feels weird, right? Because some of you have sat in that same exact seat for weeks on end, and you have never seen things from this perspective, have you? And it just feels weird. There are some of you who will not hear another word I say, like some of you right there, who you won't hear another word I say because you're going to be thrown for the rest of this time. And here's what I ask you to do. I ask you to move 20 feet or 60. That's what I ask you to do. It disrupts things. Change makes us uncomfortable. It, you know what else it does? It gives you a different perspective. Some of you are going to actually learn something today because you're kind of like paying attention. Like, I've never sat at this angle. Who are those? Some of you are going to meet some new people. I, who are you? I've never seen you here before. And you're sitting next to them now. Jesus says, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. You come up with new wineskins so, so that the delivery system can work most effectively. And here's what happens. This is how this translates into real life. A, new, a, a, a good leader... A good leader is going to ask you to stretch. He's going to ask you to, to be uncomfortable because impact, hear this, impact, change, movement always involves discomfort. Be ready to be uncomfortable if you want to see something happen, if you want to see something change. And here's something that's true about our God. You can do it. There's, I've done studies on this in the Old Testament. It's fascinating. God almost never does the same thing the same way twice. Ever. When, he, when, he got, when he, he's taking his armies, he went, just went through the Old Testament, he takes his armies to battle. One time he's saying, one time he's saying hey, march around this, the city seven times and the things are going to dissolve. Sometimes he says, send the celebrants to the front and they're going to sing as if the, the, the thing is over and everybody gets confused and the other armies start attacking each other. Sometimes he says, just stand back and watch and they, and they annihilate each other. And sometimes, every once in a while, he tells them to pick up a sword. He, goes, he says to Moses, when people are parched and dry in the wilderness wanderings, and he says, here, take, take your staff and strike the rock. And he strikes the rock, and a river comes out, and everybody's thirsty. 
Then it happens again. They got, they're thirsty again. And Moses is going to strike the rock. He goes, no, don't strike the rock. Speak to the rock. Why? Perhaps it's because God understands if we do the same thing in the same way over and over again, who starts to get credit for it? See, he's, he wants to get credit for it. It's his glory. It's his work. And so Moses doesn't listen to him, strikes a rock. Instead of speaking to him, God says, you, that's a lack of faith. And he forfeits the right to lead them into the promised land because of that. Jesus heals people, and we're going to get in this in the New Testament. Jesus heals people, and he's healing one person by rubbing mud on his eyes. He heals another person by sending him to the priest. He sends, he, go wash in a river. He, sends, he, sends, he speaks into one. He puts his fingers in the ears of another. Sometimes he says, just go home and healed. He keeps coming up with different ways to heal. Why does Jesus do that? The variety of God is that he preserves the glory for himself, but he asks us to remember that the wineskin needs to change. That's not the important thing. The important thing is the impact. The important thing is the encounter with the real God. A good leader is going to ask you to be uncomfortable. I heard a phrase. Craig has used this phrase. Now you're, I, I looked at you, and now you're a different place, right? Where are you, Craig? Yeah. He said, we, and I, lo- I love this phrase. He says, Foothills Church has, has, has for too long been the best kept secret in Rancho Santa Margarita. And I've heard everybody go, just do that. Uh-huh, that's right. Time for that to change. You ready for it to change? A leader is going to ask you to be uncomfortable in order to see that happen. To take some risks. To do stuff that you don't feel like doing. And, and I wanna, I'm going to give you some of these for, for uh, phrases uh, to eliminate from your vocabulary. Now, I don't know if you say these or not. This is a luxury of me just coming in and saying this. I don't know if you said this or not. Maybe you don't say these. But let me give you some phrases that I would encourage you to kick out of the vocabulary of Foothills Church. We've never done it that way before. Or, but we've always done it that way. Or, but we have to do that, fill in the blank. Or, It'll never work. Or we tried it before and it didn't work. Or the music's too loud around here. Or the dress is too casual around here. Or the kids are too boisterous around here. Can you eliminate those? See, our God is one who does things different. He brings change. This is, let's see if this is working. I, I lost my uh, pad. Is this working? Okay. God does not want you to see what's next. I'm going to need your help. Here we go. You ready? All right, sh- let's show this next verse. Isaiah 43, thir- 18. Forget the former things. Now, this is set in context. I don't want to take this out of context. But God is saying to, to his people through the prophet Isaiah, there have been ways that things have happened, but understand, I'm gonna, when I'm going to bring change, I'm going to do something new. So this reveals something about his character. And he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You want to in on what God is doing? Get ready. He's going to do new things. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, God says, Paul, the Apostle Paul says. To the very end of the story, at the very end of the book, in the book of Revelation, look at 21.5. Here we go. Got it? He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It's what, something, it's what God does. Now, when it comes down to a local church, here you can, you can do one of a couple things. You can either recognize that. You can release control over the th- your, your, your pet project or your thing you always think should be or your point of view or where you sit. You can, you can embrace 
that it's going to get uncomfortable and you can go where, it's, where God's going to go or you can do what a whole lot of people do. You can sit back, you can dig your heels in, you can criticize. You can talk about the good old days. You can, you can resist, you can withdraw, you can complain. Can I encourage you? Give, the, give a gift to your new pastor. Give him a gift of saying, you got new wineskins. We're ready to go with the new thing God's going to do. Now let's go forward and let's share the second gift you can give him. We're going to call these probation discharge papers. Now here's the reality when it comes to churches, and I've seen dozens and dozens of this. When churches, they, they say, oh, we so desperately want our new pastor to come. Oh, we're ready for somebody to come in here and teach us and lead us. And then when the person gets here, there's a typical normal way that people approach. And what they do is they look back and they go, all right, let's see what you got. Let's see, and if you ask them, how, how excited are you for things? Oh, I'm excited, but you know what? I'm going to kind of wait and see how this goes. Let, let's, let's, I want to get, we're going to give him a shot. It sounds all noble. You know, we're going to give him a shot. We're not sure what we're going to do. We're reserving judgment, but this guy, let's, let's see what he can do. Let's see what happens. Let, there's, and and, what, and let's, what we do is we put him on this unwritten probation. He's got this probationary period. Oh, we don't tell him he's on probation. We don't even recognize we're on probation until he violates our standards or our, well, our requirements for his probation. And if he does, he violates it, then either he's out or we're out. That's how typically it happens. And I'm going to suggest to you today that if you do that to your new pastor, you will sin against him. Because of what God says about what we do with leaders, and what he calls us to do with those who are shepherds in our, of us. Let me give you th three things we do. First of all, we have conditions we put on them. And what we basically say, wow me. I've got standards. I've got demands. I've got expectations. Or we put comparisons on him. We say, well, there's this, check, there's this uh, checklist and grid I've got that I'm going to check and see what, what, he, what he does. And let's see if, how this compares with what the last guy did or what those other guys or the other guy I wish we would have called to do it. Let's compare it to him and see how he stacks up, up against that guy. You know what that's called when we do that to somebody? It's called ungrace. It's the opposite of grace. You were accepted by, for one and one reason only by God, by his grace. Not because you earned it or deserved it or you met his standards. I don't have my standing with him because I, 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 I measured up to him. I was given grace. Can we not do that with somebody else? The person who's actually in representing him. Take, take a look, look at what 1 Thessalonians 5 says about this. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. You notice that? Who admonish you? That means he's going to make you uncomfortable. That word admonish is to disrupt you. It's, it's to call you out. It's to tag you out when you're off base. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live with, in peace with each other the way we communicate with each other about it. But we do this ungracing when we bring comparisons. Or the other thing we do, and this is just rampant in our country, is we bring in consumer Christian thinking. That basically means, this is, we do this everywhere. I come, I'm a patron of this place, you better treat me right or I could go shop somewhere else. I'll just, I can take my business somewhere else. 
I come in saying how, and, and I'm, I'm here to see what you can do for me, how you can meet my needs, how, how, whether this is going to go the direction I want it to go, whether it meets my expectations. You know, most, a whole lot of people, when they go out to eat on Sunday after church, what they eat is they dine on pastor sermons. Okay? They, what they do is they di- dissect and chew on the pastor sermons, and a whole lot of them spit them out. A whole, lot, when, when a whole lot of people, when they leave a place, they, they think like a consumer. How did that make me feel? How did that challenge me? Did that meet my criteria? Did I like what I heard? We go, when you visit a church, so what would you think? Well, what, what that means is, how did it measure up or not? One of, nothing kills churches and kills pastors more than consumerism. People thinking it's all about them. Can I, I'm going to tell you this straight today. You don't have to ask me back. I've got two more times I'm scheduled. Well, I don't know. What's happening here, the existence of this church, the, this, this outpost of the gospel, what happens here on Sunday, what we're gathered here to do right now is not, nor has it ever been, about you. It's not. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. It's about the good news of the gospel and delivering it to people who don't have it. It's about helping people follow him. It's not about whether it pleases your senses or makes you feel good. This is not about you. Can we get over ourselves? What do we do instead? We, we're here on mission, everybody. This is an outpost. This is a gathering place to gather for our forces, to encourage one another to go, to get strengthened so that we can go out and make impact from this place. When you put a guy on probation, you sin against him. Look at 1 Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. That's what we do to somebody when we say, well, let's make make you jump through our hoops. Let's let's, Let's see if you stack up. Don't muzzle that ox. He's working. The worker deserves his wages. Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Yes, there's accountability. That's in place around here. Yes, there are those who want to hold people, the servants of God, to their highest standards. But God calls on on us as the flock to respect and honor and even uses a word obey. Take direction well, follow through, give credibility to it. Can Can we eliminate this phrase? I'm not being fed. I will tell you as a pastor, nothing gets my blood boiling more. Am I worked up yet? Nothing, not, nothing gets our, my, our blood boiling more than when we hear somebody says, well, they're thinking about leaving because they don't think they're being fed. You know what that picture is? I picture a bunch of little baby birds in the nest. And the baby birds are all sat and they're going, wah, wah. And the mother's walking out and she's getting the worms. And it's her job to go find the worms, swallow the worms, bring the worms back, regurgitate the worms, and stuff them in the baby bird's mouths. Do not be baby birds. The Bible calls on us to, the writer of Hebrews said, by now you should be teachers and you're still asking somebody else to feed you. You can either fold your arms like a whole lot of people do and say, let's see what he's got. You can hide behind the keyboard and send out reviews online somewhere that give negative things. Or you can give your your new teaching pastor gift. 
You give him his paper, say, you're off probation. No hoops. Only this. Look at, look at this passage from Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders. There's a the word, obey. Submit to their authority. Boy, that's strong, right? They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Look, there is no more responsible position spiritually on earth than the role of pastor. It is a weight that is carried faithfully by people. Craig carries this faithfully. He's not asking you to pat him on the back. He's, he answers to God. He answers to God for what he does. The, your pastors will do that. And then look what it says. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Just ask yourself, is, is my involvement around here so, have this effect on my leaders? That what their work is nets out to them that it's a, it feels like a joy to them as opposed to a burden. Where's that mix for you? That would be no advantage to you. And then it says this. Here's what you do. Pray for us. Craig mentioned the gentleman he, he had met. I'm telling you, that rocked the worlds of a whole lot of pastors to get that news this week. You know what we need? We need you to pray for us. When you think about whether or not we're doing things the way you would prefer, the way you like, would you, instead of going to talk to somebody to see if somebody else feels that way, would you pray for us? Pray for us. We are, sh we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I could say more about that, but let's go on. Here, here's another gift. Here's what I would suggest you give your pastor. Let's go on. A fully manned ship. Now, that's an image of people at posts on a ship. And, uh, I mean, just take, take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 1 Peter 4. I think we got them on the same slide here. Now, to each one of us, this is talking about, this is a verse, to the, it's to you. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's written to a, a, a local church. But, so to each one of us, something is true. If you're a follower of Jesus, something's happened. To each one of us, uh, the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit is given. Okay? The, the Holy Spirit has em, endowed you with particular gifts. There's segments of His empowering within you, and it's done for one purpose. It's for the common good. He spread it out among us. 1 Peter 4 says, each one of you should do something with that. Use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, I'm going to I bet if you would read that, some, most of you have probably read those before, and most of you would shake your head and you say, do you agree with that? Yep. Most of us say we agree with it, but you know what? Most, most of, the, the, of the Christian church in the United States does not believe that. They don't, they don't believe what you just read. If they did, that this statistic wouldn't be true. And it's an old statistic, but it still holds true. That 80%, it's an 80-20 rule, 80% of what gets done in the church is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the giving that's done in a church is given by 20% of the people. You know what that leaves the 80%? They're spectators. They're attendees. They show up and fill their spot and feel like they're doing something good for God. And that is a violation of what you just read. Because God has a design for how his body functions. And get this. Of all the crazy ideas God could have had, I still don't understand this. I'm, I've, I've argued with him about this. And I don't win these arguments. But I've argued with him and said, you, 
You want to rescue the world. You've got this message that your son came, paid the ultimate price, and then you left, gave your spirit, and said, now I'm going to entrust the entire ball of wax to get the word out to this thing called the church, which is made up of a bunch of bumpy, lumpy people who are all full of sin and selfishness. And you say, yes, that is plan A, and there's no plan B. The church is going to deliver the message. That's it. Are you kidding me? I mean, what about some angels in the sky? What about some trumpets? What about some bands? What? I, I got all these great ideas. He's not listening. And God has chosen the local church. Through the, local, through the church, the manifestation of the grace of God would be given. And what that means is that everyone, everyone who's part of it has been given a role. They've been given gifts. Look at Romans 12, 4 and 5. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. There's this thing going on where everyone is asked to discover and develop the gifts that they've been given. You've got them. And then you're asked not just to understand them, but to deploy them. And the pastor's job, Ephesians 4 says, take a look, is this. It was he, the, whole, the Spirit of God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Here's their job. Their job is to pre- prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The pastor is the equipper. You are the fulfiller. That stands in contrast to what we typically see in this 80-20 rule. It stands in contrast to the idea of somebody being a spectator or an attender. Do you know that the New Testament, check it out, the New Testament does not have a word for somebody who shows up, attends a service, and goes home. The concept did not even, was not even understood. It, it, there, there's not a word for it. Because when it was designed, it was an assumed thing that when you got together, everybody helped. Everybody participated. Everybody, if they didn't do it, why were they there? They were the called out to go and to, and to serve one another and, and live out what they believe. If they weren't, then they don't believe. That's kind of the concept. It stands in contrast to what we could call token servanthood or event servanthood which is what a whole lot of us do, which is, you know, I'm really, really busy, but I can help out now and then. So if there's an event, I might be able to help out for the event. If it could fit with my schedule, and if I can get a couple of things uh, sorted up, I can show up one time. There's a difference between doing acts of service and being a servant. Write that down. There's a difference between doing acts of service and being a servant. You and Jesus was not doing acts of service. He is and was a servant. He asked those who, am, who follow him to live that out, to take on the identity of a servant. You know what that means? It means, this is, a friend told me this one, one time and it stuck with me. He said, the real test of whether you're a servant or not is how you respond when you're treated like one. Think about that. If somebody treats you like their servant, you'll find out if, whether you really see yourself as one or not. Because if you're all put out because somebody asked you to be inconvenienced, then you're probably just doing acts of service as opposed to just feeling like you are a servant, having the identity of a servant. There are a couple of phrases to uh, 
eliminate. Can I suggest you take these out of the vernacular around here? You know what? I'm really busy right now. I got news for you. Every, look around. Everybody's busy. Everybody you're asking, everybody who's being asked stuff, they're, they're busy. Everyone's busy. So here's the principle that you need to function by and understand this. You will always ultimately do what is most important to you. I'm, I'm pausing for you to write this stuff down. This is, this is good stuff. You're not laughing. Okay, it, but it's good stuff. You always ultimately do what is most important to you. And the excuse that says, well, I, as soon as, and that's another phrase to eliminate, as soon as, because there will always be something that as soon as it's over, then you'll be able to do it. As soon as the children are old enough to get in school, as soon as, as, soon as our babies are out of diapers, as soon as the kids are off to college, as soon as I have, I'm not taking care of my elderly parents, as soon as this, as soon as that, and you know what? What, you, what you're called to do never happens because as soon as never comes. Eliminate that phrase and eliminate this one. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. You know, we say, you know what we say that? We say that when we really don't want to help, but we want to get credit for helping. If there's anything you need, and then somebody says, well, there actually is something. You go, well, oh, what? Oh, well, you know, i got to check my calendar. got to check my schedule. Well, I'm not sure I could do that. Well, let me give some money. Here, go away. Don't bother me. The body of Christ is called, a, here's, 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 what, here's what you replace those phrases with. Here's a phrase to you start using around here. Okay, write this one down. Every oar in the water. You have been given an oar. God has entrusted it to you. He's placed it. You may not even know what it is yet, but you've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit, empowerments. You may say, I don't know what I can do around here. I can't teach. I can't be up front. There are a thousand things you can do. Every oar in the water. Everybody's got a job. Everybody's got a way they contribute. Don't, don't say, say, let me know what I can do. Go and offer. You want to blow the leaders around here's minds? Just show up and go, hey, I decided I'm going to help with that. Before they ask, they'll, they'll think something, some aliens have taken over our bodies. But that's the way it's supposed to look. You can either treat this place like it's a restaurant where you can decide when you want to come. You can decide what you want to do. You can see if it pleases you. You can treat it like, like perhaps you'll... you'll you'll bless it with your attendance. Or you can see it as a team and as a family to which you are absolutely committed. You know what that looks like? It looks like saying, I'm going to carve out things that I never allow to get in the way. When I worship, worshiping together with these people is so important. Oh, I, people get sick. They have to travel. I get it. But it's not going to be, how, let's see how I feel on Sunday morning. And you know what? When you show up for worship, to say, I'm going to show up, and I'm not just going to wait and see what they do. I'm going to watch as somebody leaves. I'm going, to be, I'm going to come prepared to enter into the presence of God. I'm going to come already having worshipped him, having said, I'm ready to lend my voice. I'm ready to say to God what he means to me. I'm going to actually think about it. I'm going to get here on time. I'm going to be in my place. I'm going to throw my voice in there. We're going to lift them up together. Can I tell you, you do that? I've seen it happen. You get, a, you, you get a tipping point of people who do that, and you will revolutionize how worship happens in this room. And I'm not saying it's bad now. It'll just take it to another level. Because every oar is in the water. Everybody's anticipating. Everybody says this is not about them. It's not about those. It's about us standing in front of God. Don't just give God a tip off the, of your 
wages. A lot of people just tip God. Make a commitment. I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to give regularly. I'm going, to, it's, I'm going to be all in on this thing. Have I stepped on your toes enough yet? Then okay, if I haven't, let's do this. I want you all to stand up, move over one section again. Here we go. Go. Up, up. You guys over here. Here we go. Different row, different row. Some of you are noticing decor around here you never noticed before. It's a whole new place. Some of you are over here saying, oh, he's a much more handsome man than I thought because this is my better side than over here. <laughs> I got a couple more to give you. Let's go to this one. Here's, here's, here's the next um, gift to give your pastor. Clark Kent glasses, which represents something. Okay, now there's a reality of how we treat pastors and leaders, but especially pastors. We expect that this is a professional who's been trained, he's experienced, he's gifted. We can't wait for him to get here, and we're going to, he, he, he is going to fly high, and we're going to just kind of hang our, our wagon on his star. And so we expect our pastors to be able to do, to do everything, and then to do everything well. We expect them to be the professional minister. Call the pastor. Call, that, call him to come in. You know, somebody needs light of Christ. Oh, you know what? Call him. He's really good at that. Let's, let's, call, let's go, go do this. Somebody he's cared for. Let's call them. He's trained. He knows what to do. He knows what to say. You know, he's good at those funerals and those weddings, and he does all this stuff. He's just really good. Let's just get him to do it. Can't wait. To, I can't believe anything gets, not, doesn't, that gets done until the, the pastor shows up. And we put, our, we put our fa this family on a different level. The, the wife of the pastor, the spouse of the pastor has to immediately, you, well, of course they're going to be in charge of the children's ministry. Back in the days when I was, well, they had to have a bun on their head and play the organ. That's what all the pastor's wives did. <laughs> and their kids, their kids have to be, oh, they're the most saintly ones around because how could they not be? They've got godly parents who raise them and nurture them and they're just perfect and, they, and their poop doesn't smell. It's, but, but people think about pastors, well, we did, that, that he wears a cape. And God has a design. And we already saw the passages said that he's the equipper, equipper. But you know what that means? Who does it make the minister? Tell me, who does that make the minister? That makes you the minister. Just, just look across the room. Just, make, just notice somebody. Okay, just pick somebody out. Just, you may not know them. Just look at them. When that person is in need, you know who's on the front line to the hands and feet of Jesus to them? Not this role. You are. Well, I don't know what to do. That's right. That's what makes this so cool. You show up in the name of Jesus and just watch what happens. Oh, but yeah, but I wouldn't know what to say. That's right. Is that what Jesus said? When you stand in front of the people you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit starts to work through you. 
you know what, the most amazing stuff happens. I've seen this happen so many times. We have, I, I've seen people who are in the hospital and people are near death. And by the time I show up, if I show up at all, there are 20 people there. And they're making plans for meals. And th- this is some, com- let's call it a meal committee. They just showed up. They just said, look, we're the ministers. They were praying for the people. There are times when I've showed up and put my arms around them and I've left because they're being cared for. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. The, pa- the pastor is not supposed to be Superman. You know what the fastest way to kill your pa- new pastor is? Stick every spoke of the wheel into his hub and expect him to meet everybody's needs because that's what you hired him for, right? What else does he do all week? That's what we think. God's design is that he equips and then, then everybody else does what Galatians 6.2 says, which is this, carry each other's burdens. And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And it goes on to say, and then people will learn to carry their own. Carry each other's burdens. I planted a couple churches. One failed. And then we moved to Ohio, and that one survived. When we moved there, my wife said this to me. And I've always made a point not to put her in a position where anybody has expectations that she's supposed to do certain things. But that, that was true for everybody except for me. And she said, you're putting the expectation on me. And she said, if we're going to plant a church again, I need you to know something. She was very kind about it, very gracious, and she just jacked me in the jaw with this statement. She said, it's your job to plant a church. It's my job to make a home. You okay with that? And I went, yes, ma'am, I'm really okay with that. <laughs> you already have a Savior. Don't ask your pastor or his spouse or the children to be another one. The early church at least got this for a while. Look at Acts chapter 4. This is before things went sideways for him. And it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There were, and as a result, this is what was true. There were no needy persons among them. It's talking about the physical and financial needs, but it go, extends beyond that. Can I give you some um, phrases to eliminate around here? Can I, 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 you're, the person in that role, this role may not mind you calling them this, but like, can I just suggest it? Do not call him the minister. Can you just eliminate that? Call him the pastor, call, call him the shepherd, whatever you want to call him, but it just might help to eliminate that word. He is, he is not the minister. Everybody's a minister. How about this phrase? Shouldn't the pastor's wife be doing that? Or this one. Aren't you the pastor's kid? You should know better. You know how many people are in therapy today because they heard that phrase growing up? Look, you can either put it on your your leader to perform miracles, to be there for everybody all the time, to, to completely burn him out, Put him in a position he was never intended, nor is he capable of being. Or you can give him a gift. You can recognize the guy's a fellow struggler. He's a sinner. He's got weaknesses. He's got limitations. So does his family. He deals. Look, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I will tell you that if you, I am so grateful that there is not technology that can plug into somebody's brain and put on the screen what goes through their brain mind. And I'm supposed to be the, guy, the God guy. 
I would be horrified if you could see what goes through my mind. I am a sinner. And, and we've, I've said this for years at our, our church. Look, we, we know your secret around here. You know, we know your secret before you ever come in. Here's your secret. You are a mess. I mean, you're a hot mess. And you know what? So am I. And we can be okay with that because we're given value by the righteousness of Jesus that forgives our sins and accepts us. And the fact that he wraps us in his righteousness does not mean that I'm not, I'm not still a mess. I'm just a mess who's got the capability of tapping into someone who can forgive me and strengthen me and help me recover from it. That's what we all have together. And the person who stands up here is no different in that way than you. Everybody's the same way. You can give him the gift of being regular people. Put the glasses on him and let him be the, the mild-mannered person who does not have to wear a cape. I got one more to share with you. Here's, here's, here's a, a final gift I'd encourage you to give to your new teaching pastor. A cleansed house. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to one other passage, jo- Joshua chapter 7 in the Old Testament. It's a familiar passage. I'm not going to tease it out. You might have already had in-depth teaching about it when you went through the book of Joshua. And this is the, there's a story there about the, the children of Israel who were asked, God says, I'm going to conquer the, the promised land through you and go in my name and I'm going to give you victory. And they get kind of cocky about that. And then a, a guy by the name of Achan uh, does not follow God's guidelines about what they do with the spoils. He keeps and hoards some of it for himself and his family, probably with his family's knowledge. No one knows it. It's just a secret. And it's not hurting anybody. Army's the same strength, same size. The God is the same God. And they go out and they attack, um, they, they attack the, uh, Jericho. I'm oh, sorry, Ai. That's like Jericho. And it's a small little group, and they've already had, had victory, you know. And they go, oh, this, is, this one's going to be easy. I mean, this is just a double A team. We're going to, you know, we're going to, and they get their butts whipped. And no, no, everybody's confused. I thought God was with us. What's going on? And God says basically this. This is where this phrase come from. comes from. There's sin in the camp. Heard that phrase before? It comes from Joshua. There's sin in the camp. And there's something that's always true. It's always true because we're all sinners and we're fallen. There is always something. Darkness and sin does not just hang out and allow you to spread it. It will descend upon us again. It's part of our nature. It's part of our world. It's a battle. You don't just fight it once and it's done. It's like one of those retractable doors, right? You can push the door open and let the light in, but if you just let it stand, it'll just slowly close again. You don't have to do anything. It'll just slowly close, and darkness will, it'll, the light will be blocked again. That's what happens in bodies like this. It can happen very, very subtly. It can, we can, what we call spiritual drift can happen. People who one time really were strong, and they just kind of slowly aren't as much. They aren't connecting with God as much. The creep of sin comes in. It's always happening. And so, and so this, I just know this is true. This is, not, I, this is not disparaging of you. I've grown to love everybody. I mean, I, I love being here. I think this is a great group of people, but I know this. You've got secrets. You got secrets. And there's addiction in this room. I know. I'm glad you're here. This is where we te- this is where we open the door and get light on it. This is where it's it's supposed to be safe to walk through it. There's there's unresolved sin issues in this room. Some of them have happened just recently. There's stuff, there's bitterness and there's grudges being held in this room. 
There's gossip that's, that, that's spread among people in this room. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh on you. It's just a reality. It will always creep its way in. Unless we are proactive in dealing with it, it will just, that door will com- slowly continue to close out the light. It needs the exercise of something happening. And it can become a significant deterrent to what God wants to do collectively. There could be sin going on in somebody's life, and, and we wonder, why is there no traction happening? And we have no idea. And God might reveal it, and he might not, but he says, you know what? There's sin in the camp. He, it's not to blame somebody. It's because God wants to uncover it. You know what? If God really loves your church, if he really loves this company of people, you can count on him. He's going to expose it. He wants it, to ha- he wants it to come out. He wants it to be dealt with and absolved. He, he wants to free you from it. He wants, to, he wants to breathe his grace on it. He wants to give cleansing and wholeness to it. And so in Joshua chapter 7, let me just read a little bit. This is verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Joshua's prostrate on the ground. He says, um, I, 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 we are, we're, there's something wrong. I don't know what to do. He says, stand up. What are you doing on your face? It's kind of funny. Look, don't wallow. Israel has sinned. This is verse 11. They've violated my covenant, which I've commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. He's talking about they, but there's only really one family, right? But collectively, it's affecting the whole group. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I won't be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now, then he's going to give them some instructions. So he says there's sin in the camp. And so some is obvious and some is not so obvious. Some is subtle. But there's four things. And this is a whole other sermon, but let me just give you these quickly, all right? Four things that Joshua is instructed to do. Number one, inventory. I'm just going to give you verses 14 and following, inventory. Number two, confession or in repentance, put those together. Number three, restitution. And number four, consecration. Now pause just a minute because I, here's what I'm, I'm going to come straight at you today. I'm going to ask you if, you want, if you're ready to do this. Those four things are involved in what God in, asks the nation of Israel to do. Inventory. Open up your heart, open up your life, and, and ask God and to say, is it me? Is there something going on with me? I, a few, several weeks ago, I, I dared you to ask that question to God, and I'll do it again. If you really want to walk with him, ask him, is there some darkness in me you want to address? Be careful when you ask it. Because he almost certainly, by his spirit, will nudge you. He'll do it graciously, but he'll nudge you. And you, if you do it right now, you'll probably have him say, you go, I don't want to talk about that. That one's too hard. That one's, I'm not ready for that. Okay, inventory means you let your vision linger on it. Second, then, is confession, which means to say the same thing about it. Call it what it is. And repentance, which means to turn away from it. It means to eliminate it from your life, to go in the opposite direction from it, to take tangible steps to say, I am going to not, I'm not going to let this linger in my life. I'm going to address it. Now, it might be something you've addressed thousands of times before. That's okay. Let it happen again. Let it plow up your heart again. The third thing is restitution which is make it right. As much as lies within you, live at peace with, with others. 
For some of us, that means somebody who you really never want to lay eyes on again needs to get a phone call from you. Or they need to get a tap on the shoulder and say, can, I, can we talk? Because there's something unresolved. You said something, I said something, something happened between us. For some, for some of us, can I suggest that the best thing, you, sometimes we have the invitations, and so you're, you're going to be invited to come pray if you want at the end. For some of us, the best invitation you can have is after we're done is not to go this way, it's to go this way. And to very quietly, privately tap somebody else in the room who you have some issue with and say, you and I can, need to talk. Gently address it. Make restitution for it. Make it right. Give back what was stolen. Change the phone number if somebody, the wrong person, has got it. Cut off a relationship you have no business having. Make restitution. And then that last word is, is the word consecration, which if you look at verse 13 and 14, this happens twice, by the way, to Joshua and his people. He says, go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord your God of Israel says. Consecrate basically means to take something and set it apart from its previous use and say to God, this is now dedicated to your use. It's to make it holy. It's actually the verbal word for making something holy is to consecrate something. And if you look, one more passage there, earlier when the whole children of Israel were going out, Joshua 3, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Can you I would encourage you to memorize that verse. Consecrate yourselves. When you do tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. For some of us, that act needs to happen where we say, I will, I will set myself apart from my sin. I'm going to set myself for a different purpose. I'm going to present myself again. And not just, yeah, no, I, I, know, I know God. He knows me. No, to actually, actually literally present yourself, to verbalize it to him again, to say, I might have told you this a hundred times before, Lord Jesus, but right now I'm saying, I belong to you. Use me how you want to use me. Take me in your way. Flaws and all. Look, you can either, no one's going to chase you down. You can hide what's going on in your life. You can continue to try to deal with the sin or the issue on your own. You can hold on to the bitterness. You can entrench yourself in it. You can do that. It's your choice. Or, or you can act on it. You can go immediately after we're done to somebody who you need to have a conversation with. Or you can come clean about something that has been, has kind of crept into your life and you, it's embarrassing to tell, but maybe there's a small group of people or one person you start with and say, can I tell you something? Would you pray with me about this? Would you hold me accountable about this? And when you do that, Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now there's no guarantee of what that will look like. But I just want to encourage you to give it as a gift. Look at this list again one more time. This is not the only list. This is just some things that I wish somebody would say if I were coming in. Can I ask you to think about this real quick? What's, what's the one on there that you're most ready tonight, today to give? Look at that list and just say, yeah, I can, I can give that one pretty easy. Would you commit yourself to, to remember to do that? Now let me, I'm going to ask you the other question. Which is the one you're not ready to give? 
Which is the one that the Holy Spirit would say to you, that's the one. Let's work on that one. Would you do business with God about that? We're going to sing a couple songs, take an offering, and then at the end, you know, there's a prayer team here all the time, but I, I want to encourage you to something. There's some of us in the room who may have never done that, and today is a day it needs to happen. Today's a day where you say, you know what, I need, to, I need to actually take a physical step that says I'm going to consecrate myself. Maybe that's you, and you would come here and say, I just want to pray. I just, I actually need to, I need to do this for myself as much as anything. I just need to present myself to God. And maybe some need to go sideways after we're done. Pray with me. God, I, I feel it when I'm in this place that you've brought together something that's on the cusp of making real impact. Uh, there are so many people who are living these things out already here. It's really encouraging. And I want to pray that those folks today would be encouraged to know that they're on a good path, that you're with them, that you're blessing, that, you're, that things are happening already. And, but God, we also know that there's more you want to do. There are new things you want to do. And we pray that today even might be another important step for individuals or collectively for this group. That today would be a day where this group is consecrated and people are consecrated and they say, I'm ready to give these things to those who lead. I'm ready to participate in the ways I'm called to do. And that today, Lord, you would start something new and fresh, that you would give forgiveness to those who need it, and we all need it, but especially for particular things, and that today would be a first day of what the new thing you're doing and where you're going to go with this group of people and the individuals in it. Thank you. Pray through your son. Amen.